Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So here's what we're to do. Elsewhere, he'll say, occupy until I come. Not occupy like those who surround and disturb and distress. Occupy in the sense of being about his business, preaching his gospel, loving people for him, and letting him love people through you. In today's study, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Your Kingdom Come. We're in the second half of Mark chapter 13, talking about the end times, what they mean for us, and what they mean for the rest of the world. So let's listen in. So all this has to happen and will happen, and I believe it will happen soon. The birth pains of the coming tribulation give way three and a half years into Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble. We call it the tribulation. It gives way to the great tribulation. The last three and a half years of that tribulation period, that's when Antichrist stands in the temple, demands all sacrifice ceases, that he and he alone be worshiped. A couple other things that we know about him is he will require everyone on planet Earth to receive a mark in their right hand or their forehead and that no one will be able to buy or sell without that mark. Now, I understand, and you do too, why people 1,900 years ago and 1,500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and, well, why people through the centuries so, well, that could never happen. That, that's impossible. That can't possibly be literal. So they tried to figure out what it might mean. But whenever you do that, when you take away what's obvious and literal, though it's impossible, you come up with all sorts of ideas that are less possible because they're not what he said is going to happen. And so we used to say, well, that's impossible. Now we realize there is nothing too hard for the Lord. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Right. And all he's doing here is saying, here's what Antichrist is going to do. The technology is in place. It started with chipping our pets, not my pets, because I value them too much. Don't know what those chips will do to them. But people started... Chipping their pets, then they start chipping their children, and, and all for good reason, because it's like, well, somebody kidnaps the child or or steals the pet, and, and then, well, you, you have access, you you have that tracking device to tell you where they are. You know, when you're driving up here or driving around, the further into the Bay Area you go or down south where I'm from. You know that, that Google is tracking every single car and, and we rejoice in that without realizing it because then they can tell you there's a serious slowdown here. How do they know? Because all these dots are moving and they all stop. And they'll say, pull in here, go down this side street. I've been to some places I would have never visited in my life for sure because Google said go there. And, and there's great use of this technology. I'm so grateful for the technology, but you need to know it's not Satan's technology. He just uses it. It's not Antichrist technology. He just uses it. He takes the same thing we're using for good to do evil. So he'll require his mark be put in the right hand and the forehead of every person. And listen, this is important. It says that those who receive his mark 
and worship him. We'll drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Don't fear that if you have a cousin or a daughter or a child or something that, that, that's, you know, gotten chipped by their boss, because that stuff's going to start happening. Not everyone will quit their job to avoid it. Don't fear that they're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just about a mark. It's his mark. And it's worship of antichrist that seals a person's faith and keeps them from the kingdom of God. I'm not saying don't warn people not to take the mark or not to take the chip because it's pretty likely that's what we're looking at now. Although 35 years ago, we thought they were just going to stamp one of those barcodes on you and you would like, you know, you go in the store and do this. And then we're a little more aware that technology is well beyond all that today. So, so it's an important issue to know that, that everything he says, our Lord says is going to happen, must happen. And though it might seem unlikely or did at one point, now we see it's totally possible. He'll talk in a moment about us being able to annihilate ourselves entirely. I was born in 1950. We were already capable of that. We had enough weapons that we could have destroyed the whole planet. We used to have to get under our desk at school in case what we were practicing for the nuclear attack. And I'm like, how is going to be under? I was only like six or seven, but I'm like, how will getting under my desk help if that happens? No one ever explained it. They just said, this is what we're doing. So we all did it. Fortunately, we stopped that. Anyway, he says in verse 19, and I just made reference to it. In those days, there will be tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. None of what's happened in the past is happening today will compare with what's coming. Because we're talking Sodom and Gomorrah, it's a city, it's another city, a few others on the plane there. Uh, it, it's local and literal. But we're talking about worldwide destruction, more like the flood, where everything was covered by water, but this next time it will be fire. Well, unless the Lord had shortened those days, and I like how it says this, unless the Lord had shortened those days, it's in the future but it talks as if it's already gone down. Why? Because when God says he's going to do something, you can be absolutely certain he will. And just as he said he'd do it, so he speaks as if it's already happened, though he knows it's far out into the future. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened those days. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ. Look, he's there. Do not believe it. Matthew says, some will say he's out in the desert. And he's saying, don't believe it. Don't buy it. The false Christ like to hang out in the desert. I don't know why. I like the beach. But, but, you know, they're out there. Some say, oh, he's in the inner chamber, the inner room. He says, don't go in. Don't go out. Why? Because when he comes, everybody's going to see it and everyone's going to know it. It's not a secret coming. It's a visible coming. As he returns, and I'll read it to you in a moment, to rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. He goes on to say, false Christ, those claiming to be the Christ, by the way, the word antichrist means opposed to Christ and in the place of Christ. He claims to be the Savior, 
but he's anything but. So false Christ and false prophets, if you've read Revelation, you know the Antichrist has a false prophet who works lying signs and wonders to deceive. This is what Jesus said would happen. They'll rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. Liars using lying signs and wonders to deceive. And listen, many will be deceived, but not all and not us. Have you noticed he's not mentioning the church? It's clear that we're on, you know, Jewish land. We're on Jewish territories talking about the synagogues and the beatings and the, the temple and all such things. That's important as we approach the last days because, again, many were saying, well, no, they, he didn't mean this literally. There's a whole school that says, says the church has replaced Israel. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11 and see the multiple contrast where he says they and us and they and us. And if they're being cast off and their fall and their failure has been riches for the world, how much more? their restoration. There is Israel. We're the other part of the equation, both elected by him, both loved by him, both chosen by him, both birthed by him. They as a nation, we as his church. Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 explains why the church isn't mentioned here, nor is it mentioned after you see the glorious worship service in chapters four and five of Revelation, you don't read of the church again until chapter 19, where we are returning with Jesus to rule and reign upon the earth. Why? Because chapter six through chapters 19, the first part, are the tribulation and the great tribulation. And we're not going to be there. And here's why. First Thessalonians 4 says, I don't want you to be ignorant. It's verse 13. Brethren, concerning those who fall fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the dead, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them and more importantly with him and thus we will forever be with our Lord. We're told by the Apostle Paul, we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain deliverance. Luke tells us at some point in his gospel, when all these things begin to happen in the birth pang season, leading to the time of tribulation, look up, your redemption draws near. He says that we should pray always that we'd be found worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Hey, that is going to be our reality. We're sons of light, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, not appointed under wrath. And he says in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. There's something else. That song, Blessings, just talking about the trials and the tribulations and the things that have to take place 
first. Man, that is fleshed out in a very powerful way in the middle of the tribulation. When Antichrist sets his image in the temple, the rebuilt temple, demanding he and he alone be worshiped, God is going to open the eyes of his people. They've been blinded, but it's temporary blindness. They've been in darkness, but he's going to bring them into his glorious light. He's going to save all Israel. And Paul makes the case, and this is important. He says, all Israel will be saved. And then he says, not all Israel is Israel. What in the world could that mean? It means all those who are actually governed by God, for that's what the word literally means. He means of Israel, but it isn't every person born into a family in Israel or having that nationality or that background ethnically. No, he's saying everyone who's like Abraham walking by faith, they're going to be saved. And so there will be a massive revival during the tribulation period. Millions of Jews Millions of them will come to faith in Christ. Millions who weren't raptured by the Lord, but knew you and know your testimony. Well, all of a sudden, those things you said were going to happen are happening. And they're going to realize, man, they told me the truth. I've been thinking seriously and planning on redoing my will. I don't have very much, but I do have a house and I've got a few assets, really nice grand piano, that stand-up bass. But anyway, I've got some stuff. But, but I realized my, my you know, if, if my lawyer's a Christian, we're going to both be raptured together and who's going to distribute my stuff? So I'm looking for a non-Christian lawyer, if you know one, <laughs> if he will sign an affidavit promising not to become a Christian, he's my guy. Because I need someone to distribute the stuff. You guys are going to have the same problem. All, all of you are going to be in heaven and we're going to say, well, who's going to help out down there? Leave a lot of good stuff behind. And we'll do that for sure. Well, anyway, it brings us to this. In Revelation 7, 144,000 Israelites from the 12 tribes of Israel are sealed by God. They receive his seal, his mark in their foreheads. It's important. Because there are those who say, well, no, the church is actually Israel today or actually this group, you know, our group is, you know, not... Calvary Chico or Calvary anything, but, but there are those groups who say, no, we're the 144,000. One of them went to one of the families in our, our, our church's house, just that, you know, they're young Christians, but went to the house yesterday or the day before, and they were telling them how only 144,000 are going to be in heaven. I said, just read them chapter 7 and then read them chapter 14, because in chapter 14, the 144,000 that were sealed from the 12 tribes of Israel, and he lists the tribes. So we know it's literal. He's not saying, you know, someone kind of like them or the ones that replace them. 12,000 from the tribe of, of Gad and Manasseh. And, and he goes through Reuben and all those tribes. They're standing before the Lord, chapter 14, on Mount Zion, having been redeemed, not one is lost to him. So, so important and that last thing that brings us to we have the, the, the time of um, the birth pains. We have the time of the great tribulation. And then we have the great revelation, the ultimate realization. Because in those days, verse 24, after that tribulation, 
The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. I love that. It just says power and glory here. But in Matthew, he says great glory. And the first time I heard that, I was at a study with Raul Reese down south. And he said, is this saying great glory? Because it sounds so much like Greg Laurie. And uh, only Raul could, could get that out of the scripture. But I pass it on because I'm still a fan. And, uh, but anyway, power and great glory. Then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the furthest parts of the earth to the furthest parts of heaven. Listen to it. It's Revelation 19, 11. You can even go there if you want. You don't have to, but listen. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. And, and it says, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes like a flame of fire on his head, many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, clothed with the robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. In Revelation 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's chained. He's cast in a bottomless pit. And he tells us why. And here's how we know this is literal. It says that he could deceive the nations no more. Later released. We'll talk about that at another time. Uh, that's one of those things I'm like, are you sure, Lord? But nevertheless... Learn this parable from the fig tree here in our chapter, and it's the last section we consider. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away. Some see, and I'm one of them, an image here, a symbol of, of Israel in the fig tree. But even for those who don't, he's saying when you see the fig tree leafing, you know summer's coming soon. And he's saying in the same way, when you see all these things begin to happen, you know. Well, he's literally at the door. His time is coming soon. Of that day... An hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So here's what we're to do. Elsewhere, he'll say, occupy until I come. Not occupy like those who surround and disturb and distress. Occupy in the sense of being about his business, preaching his gospel, loving people for him and letting him love people through you. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels, nor the son, only the father. Take heed, watch, and pray. Stay alert, be aware. Eyes up when all these things begin to happen. Look up. So many looking around. 
Antichrist, maybe that's him. Maybe that's him. Maybe he's rising over here. We're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. When all these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. He says, watch and pray. You don't know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house, gave authority to his servants to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest he come suddenly, lest suddenly he come and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Jesus left them believing he could return for them at any time. Every generation has lived with the sense of, of his imminent return. Every generation that took the Bible literally. And we're living with that same expectation. And if you've ever wondered why, and you should, it's because he wants us to live as if he could come today. Do you know he says he's going to come at a time we least expect it? How many of you expect Jesus to come before lunch today? Pretty much no one. So he says that could be it. That's the key, you see. We don't expect him. He will come without notice. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him, with them, and forever we will be with our Lord. When he returns with us, our prayer will have been answered. We'll be a part of it. Amen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, between here and heaven, we want to be found faithful. You've done all you can do and more. No one could have expected the sacrifice you made, though it was written in the Psalms and, and prophesied by the prophets. Lord, you endured so much so we could live not just a freer, happier, better life now, but so we could live forever with you, eternally with you. And Lord, we don't want one here to perish. You say it's not your will, any perish but that all come to repentance. We understand, Lord, that's just a, for, for the one who doesn't believe, it's to say, forgive me for my unbelief. Lord, I believe. For those who haven't received, Lord, forgive me for not putting you on the throne of my life and then doing just that. And if you're here and you've never said, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord, be my savior. Forgive my every sin. Hear his words from the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed that for those who handed him over, for those who crucified him and, and mocked him at the foot of the cross. He prayed for every one of them and his prayer extends to us today. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, 1 John says, you will die in your sin. He who has the son has life. He who is not the son of God does not have life. And he is the author of life and the giver of life. And he's offering you today free of charge, everlasting life. All he asks of you is that you'd give him your life in exchange. And if you're ready to do that, not just to say, well, I believe he's the savior, but is he your savior? I've always believed he's the Lord. Is he your Lord? Because when you stand before him, that's what's going to make the difference not where you went to church or how often you went or how much you gave or how much you did, but what is the nature of your relationship with the one who made you and loves you and laid down his life 
to save you from your sins. A warning about these prophecies in the coming of the end times. And that's not to spend your time looking for the coming of Antichrist, preparing for him and thinking, is that him or is this guy him? But rather to spend your time looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, as this is how we are instructed to live. In Titus 2, 12 through 14, we are told that we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are purified by living in anticipation of his return and doing so changes the way that we live every day. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.